Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the second episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and with me is Tony Pauline. We're back with some NFL draft chatter after a week off. We'll get to that in a moment. How are you doing tonight, Tony? I'm okay, Chris. It's good to be back. Uh, we were prepared to uh, have our second episode last week. I'm sure a lot of people were anticipating it. Unfortunately, as as you well know, we taped three episodes, but technical glitches prevented it from ever being uploaded. So hopefully we're we're over that. And the fact that we did not have a podcast means just one thing, Chris. We've got a ton of breaking news from the past two weeks that we'll have to catch listeners up on. And we'll get right to it and start our breakdowns of last weekend's action with a contest that you previewed over at draftanalyst.com last Friday clemson florida state which in this case turned into a blowout you specifically mentioned tiger's offensive tackle mitch hyatt in your preview tony what was your final analysis of his play yeah i I think hyatt not only won the battle but he won the war i I mean it was a complete domination by clemson especially the clemson offense especially the clemson offensive line you know florida state historically has one of the best pass rushing uh, defenses in the acc and they do this year and Clemson, with Mitch Hyatt, shut him out. I think they did not have a single sack. Uh, you know, I was really keyed up to see the uh, head-to-head matchup between Brian Burns, the pass-rushing specialist from Florida State, who had, coming into the game, had nine sacks during seven games, and Mitch Hyatt, and Mitch Hyatt shut him down. I think the uh, Burns' final tally was one tackle and one quarterback hurry. Really never got a sniff of the uh, of the Clemson quarterback. I think Clemson had four quarterback hurries, and that was basically up the middle. You know, Hyatt, as I said in my preview, he's not the prettiest athlete. He's not the, he doesn't have the greatest footwork, but he's fundamentally sound. He's a smart offensive tackle. He uses all his assets to their maximum. You saw a couple of times where it looked like the speed rusher, whether it be uh, whether it was Brian Burns or Janarius Robinson, the Seminoles' other up-and-coming pass rusher, looked like they had the edge on Mitch Hyatt. And he was able to adjust, twist his body, and get his hands into the pass rusher and knock him from their angle of attack. He's got long arms. Uh, he, he's, he makes great use of angles and body positioning. You know, I, I think coming into the season, scouts created him as a late rounder. There was some talk that he was going to enter the draft last year. He probably, it, was, it was a good idea that he didn't. Uh, I think he's going to be a solid mid-round choice and could be a very inexpensive utility lineman for uh, – an NFL team on Sunday that can play play either left or right tackle. But the bottom line is this, Chris, the Florida State game really helped Hyatt's draft stock. Yeah, well, Hyatt isn't the quickest lateral mover. He did do a nice job pushing the Florida State pass rushers past the pocket, even if he couldn't get to the edge quickly enough to anchor. Uh, When he was rushed straight on, he did show a good wide base and pass protection, strong hands to control opponents and push them away from the ball carrier, whether it was a run play or he was trying to keep his quarterback upright. 
The thing that might have impressed me most about Hyatt, though, is his ability to adjust. He doesn't overextend into his blocks before engaging with defenders, so that gives him a nice window of opportunity to recover against quick moves at the line of scrimmage. Whether it's a stutter, whether it's a swim, he keeps his balance well, and he's able to stay in front of the defender and keep him away from the quarterback. Uh, he did a nice job keeping Burns at bay while the outcome of the game was in doubt, which was only about you know half of this game. But that was in addition to Clemson chipping Burns with running backs and, and making it really tough overall uh, for Brian Burns, who you know had one impact play at the end of the first half. But other than that, he was pretty quiet, and, and that allowed the Clemson offense to really hum along. Now, the next game we'll discuss is Arizona State against USC, and specifically Nikhil Harry's matchup against the USC secondary, which was missing a next-level talent in safety Marvell Tell. Now, Harry was often matched up with Amon Marshall and had just one catch against the potential day three corner, but it was a big one, a one-handed grab and tight coverage on the sideline while falling to the ground. Now, that catch put both his ball skills and body control on display, which are the two traits that will need to carry him at the NFL level. Harry also scored on a stop and go from the slot. He fielded a punt deep in his own territory. I believe it was inside the 10-yard line. Uh, you know, He went to the sideline, reversed field, picked up a couple blocks, and eventually found his way to the end zone going down the sideline. But in the end, he wasn't really looking fast on that play. Um, he's a playmaker with the ball in his hands, but on that play and also his touchdown from the slot, he didn't show that burner speed. No one's expecting him to have it. You can tell he's not a fast receiver. And in the end, that's what scouts are going to be looking at, even if he is a playmaker with the ball both in the air and in his hands. Now, Tony, did you see anything different? No, I mean, the stats were a little bit deceiving. I think he ended up with like four receptions for 95 yards. I think the fact that Arizona State rushed for 283 yards against what was what we all thought was a good USC defense, although they were missing some guys, made Harry's life a little bit easier. You know, what's going to happen is in the lead up to the draft, everyone's going to salivate over these highlight reel type of catches, which are going to be shown continually uh, in the lead up to the draft. He's a terrific college receiver. The question is, is does his lack of speed and lack of quickness limit him at the next level or limit the types of plays he'll be able to use it, be used in or the types of schemes? Now, I've heard two things about Harry. I reported weeks ago that he's going to enter the NFL draft. Several people tell me that they expect him to surprise and run a faster 40 than most people think. A faster 40 for Harry would be something in the four fours, which I think would definitely put him in the first round. You know, I've been a skeptic all this time. But if he runs in the 4-4s, it's just a matter of coaching him to play to that speed. I still have my, my concerns about the quickness. I still have my concerns that he's a guy who primarily makes one hand, incredible one-handed grabs or wins out for the contested throw, which I think is going to limit him. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I, you know, A lot of people grade him as a first-rounder. I'm not sold yet. Uh, we'll have to see what happens not only the rest of the season, but in the lead-up to the next April's draft. Now, before we get into our final recap from Week 9, please be sure to support the Draft Analysts by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, or iHeart. We're on all of those platforms. And you can also find us at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. You can leave a rating and a review. And if you ask a question in your review, we'll do our best to answer it on the show if we do have time at the end. You can also send us a tweet at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline at Draft Analyst one and at Believe underscore LA to get in touch with the show as well. So for the final game we're going to review on tonight's podcast, we have Kentucky's last second victory over Missouri. Again, the focus was on Missouri senior quarterback Drew Locke. Tony, was this much of the same 
from Locke as far as what we saw against Alabama two weeks ago, or was it a different story? No, pretty much not only just the Alabama game, but the South Carolina and the Georgia game. I, I mean, you look at the Kentucky defense, it does not have the same amount of top-rated talent as Alabama does, but it's a very talented group. I mean, I count almost seven guys on that uh, Kentucky uh, defense that are going to be drafted uh, or selected at some point during the 2019 draft, from Josh Allen, who could be a first-round pick, to Derek Beatty, who's more of a late-round pick. But the fact is this, when you break that game down, and I watch that game, you know, Locke goes into halftime with Missouri up by 11 points. The second half, there were th- Missouri had three not, uh, not, I'm sorry, they had nine three and outs. They never got a first down in that second half to basically give their defense uh, a, a rest or, or, or basically help their defense. Uh, with a minute and 41 seconds left, it was third and two. If they get the first down, the game is over. Incomplete pass. He finished the game 15 of 27, but it was like 156 yards, no TDs, no interceptions. You know, it was, again, another pedestrian performance by Drew Locke. And the bottom line is this, Chris. While Locke may end up in the first round, I just don't see a player or a quarterback who deserves a first-round grade at this point. And I don't, th- and I don't think it's going to change, you know, for the uh, final two months, uh, month and a half of the season. Much has been made of Locke's struggles against ranked teams. You mentioned Georgia and South Carolina in addition to Alabama. I thought Locke was better in this game than he was at least against Alabama. But again, that's a low bar to clear. As you said, Tony, Locke started hot. You know, they went into halftime ahead. But in the end, the Tigers just couldn't move the ball in the second half. They allowed Kentucky to stick around and pick up the win on the final play of the game. You know, early in the game, Locke did do a nice job moving outside the pocket, making throws on the move, which is actually something that I've knocked him for and said I wanted to see more from him. So that was good to see. And again, he looked good with a clean pocket, which he always does. That's not really the issue with him. But his deep accuracy was poor. His downfield passes were generally uncatchable. They were nowhere near the receivers. They were either sailed out of bounds or too far down the field. He continues to throw off his back foot too often, which costs him accuracy and touch, even though he's able to maintain his velocity when he does that. You know, considering those are issues for him in a clean pocket, it obviously explains a lot about why he has trouble against pressure, especially when it comes from the A and the B gap on the inside. So now we're going to move along to our new segment here. And and Tony, we're going to go right back to Florida State uh, after discussing them earlier. What do you have from us, you know, out of Tallahassee? I'm told that Brian Burns, the the defensive end who we spoke about earlier in this podcast and his matchup against Mitch Hyatt, I'm told that Brian Burns plans on entering the draft. Uh, Where he fits in, I think right now he's probably a first-round selection for a couple of reasons. Over the summer when I graded him, I I thought he was more second-round talent. But number one, I think he's improved his game. Except for the Clemson game, he's been a constant nuisance. Uh, The fact is I, I expect him to test very well. He looks very athletic. He's the type of guy that you can use out of a three-point stance or stand him up over a tackle. He's probably going to come in at about 6'4", 230 pounds, 4.7 speed. Uh, He's probably a better player than Josh Sweat, who was highly rated. Josh Sweat, who had a lot of injuries, went in the fourth round to the Philadelphia Eagles. And a lot of people liked him, but he was downgraded because of those injuries. Burns, I believe, has a higher upside. And the fact is, is pass rushers are always a hot commodity on draft day early in the draft. You look at Austin Bryan of Clemson. He hasn't really played all that well this year. We've spoken about Jalen Jenks. He's 
played okay, really hasn't been all that great. He's not a great athlete. So I, I think Burns, from what I'm told, is going to enter the draft. I think it's a good move for him. And I think he's going to end up sliding into the late part of round one. Yeah, well, Burns didn't show out against Clemson. Much of that, as we mentioned earlier, was the stellar play of Mitch Hyatt and Clemson's entire offensive scheme, which really limited Burns' one-on-one opportunities to rush the passer. And he still came inches from a strip sack late in the first half. If it weren't for Hyatt holding him on the play once he got beat, it would have been a strip sack. Instead, it went as an incomplete pass. But in the end, Jones still, or sorry, Burns still showed the length. He still showed the pass rush moves, his suddenness, his closing speed, everything that makes him an intriguing prospect. You could still see it on the field in that game. He just wasn't able to turn it into any sort of production. But again, it's not really a production business. A lot of this is about traits, and Burns has them in spades. And that's why, as you said, he's probably going to end up being a first-round pick. We're going to head to the Pac-12 now. And we'll talk about two quarterbacks who could be impacting the 2019 NFL draft. And that's Steven Montez of Colorado and Justin Herbert of Oregon. Now, Montez and the Buffaloes find themselves on a three-game losing streak during which the signal caller, the junior signal caller, has thrown three touchdowns and two interceptions after tossing 11 scores in his first five games. Tony, what's the latest you're hearing on Montez? I heard for a while that he was kind of in the middle as to whether or not he was going to enter the draft. He really didn't know. And then prior to the Oregon State game, I had heard that his father had notified people, his father's a high school football coach, that his son, Stephen Montez, plans on entering the draft and went as far as telling people that they've basically decided on an agent. Uh, I don't know that anything's changed over the, over the past three weeks. I don't know that Stephen Montez has actually made up his mind to enter the draft, so I'm not going to go out on a limb and say this is definitely going to happen. But the word is out there that, Montez's father is giving signals that the junior signal caller is going to enter the draft. Now, where does he end up? You know, uh, up until the uh, USC game, the guy was on fire. The guy was one of the hottest quarterback prospects in the nation. He's got the size. He's got the arm strength. He has all the physical skills to be a starter at the next level. May take a little time to develop, but if he puts it all together, you know, he can be a starter. I I think that the thing that worried me was when his big target went down and was out of the lineup, he tended to struggle, didn't show that he can carry the team on his shoulders, which is probably why he's not going to be a top a first round pick or a top 40 pick. But he has next level physical skills. You put good pieces around him. It'll be interesting to see what I hear or what comes out uh, you know, between now and when the juniors have to decide whether or not they're going to declare by the middle of January. I'm going to say right now it's about 50-50 Montez enters the draft. The people close to him are saying he's likely to enter, and he's already chosen an agent. Moving a little further west to Eugene, where we have a guy who, if he declares, is going to be at least a top 40 pick. There was a report that surfaced last week saying Justin Herbert was likely to return to school rather than enter the draft. Herbert's played well this season, but Oregon has lost its last two games. He's completed under 55% of his passes with only three scores in those road setbacks against Washington State and Arizona. Now, obviously, that's not the biggest deal in the world. But, Tony, what are you hearing as far as Herbert's status for next year's draft? I'm hearing it's basically premature to make uh, that there's any strong sentiment or any uh, he's leaning heavily towards any way at this point in time. Now, could Herbert stay? I'm told yes. I mean, I'm told socially he's a bit of an introvert. He's from the Eugene, Oregon area, and he really likes it there. And one big thing that people don't know is his brother is a four-star prospect at tight end, and the brother announced his commitment to Oregon. So he'll be playing for the Ducks next season, and Herbert may want to stick around for another year 
and throw passes to his brother. Uh, to his brother, you know, you look at Herbert. He's got the size. He's got the arm strength. I like his ball security. I like his decision making. I like his his ability to make plays with his legs or his pocket to get outside the pocket and throw on the move or take off up the field. But the one thing about Herbert is, and we've seen this, he doesn't come through in the big spot. Last year, he got they got hammered by uh, Boise State in the Vegas Bowl. The last three games. You know, I, you, thought, you would have thought that he could have rebounded against that loss to Washington State and hammered Arizona that does not have a good pass defense. And Oregon was not good against a, a very mediocre overall defense against Arizona. But the thing is this, let's not forget, you know, a year ago at this time, everybody was saying that Sam Darnold was, was leaning towards staying in school. Not too many people, even scouts were saying they expected the USC quarterback uh, to stay for uh, another year, which would have been his redshirt junior year. As we know, Darnell entered the draft as the third pick of the uh, of the event, and now he's the uh, starting quarterback for the New York Jets. The bottom line is this, as far as I'm told with Herbert. Nothing has been decided, and he's a long ways from making a final decision. It's just too early to tell with a guy like Herbert, and there are several things that could happen over the next couple of months to sway his decision. So everything at the moment is pretty easy to kind of just file away as extra information rather than viewing it as a given. Kind of like you said with Montez being 50-50 at this point, despite there being some evidence that he might be leaning towards the draft. We'll continue with our Pac-12 theme, and we'll look over to Washington, where injured tackle Trey Adams might be making some news as far as the draft is concerned. Tony, what do you have there? Everything I've heard over the past two weeks is that Trey Adams, the big offensive tackle from Washington, is expected to enter the NFL draft. Now, let's look back on his history. Adams was very highly rated after a sophomore season and entered his junior campaign of 2017 as the potential first-round pick. He struggled early in the season against Rutgers, got his game back on track, only to have his year ended in October when he suffered a knee injury against Arizona State. So coming into this season, he was graded very highly by scouts. Some scouts had him as a third-round pick, but there were others who graded him as the top senior prospect in the nation, regardless of position. So a lot of people were anticipating his return. Those hopes were quickly diminished after he missed the first game against Auburn. And there was some speculation during uh, my appearance on the Journey to the Draft podcast with Fran Duffy. I had said that the word was he may need back surgery and the season could could basically be over before it started. And that's what happened. In the end, this should surprise no one that Adams is going to enter the draft. Where does he go? It all depends on the medicals. I mean, he's a tall guy at six foot eight. He's had he's had knee problems in the past. Now he's coming off a back injury. The medicals at the combine are very intense. I've known situations where guys have come out of combine medicals more injured than where they when they went in because they're tugging on joints, they're tugging on legs to check out the integrity of knee uh, joints and ankles and things like that. It's a long haul, but, you know, like I said, it should, should, should surprise nobody if Trey Adams enters the draft. Finally, Tony, let's talk about one of the fastest rising tight ends in the nation, Zach Gentry of Michigan. Gentry was a week six riser over at draftanalyst.com after he went for seven catches and 112 yards against Maryland, but he's totaled just three receptions and 26 yards since against Wisconsin and Michigan State before the Wolverines were off last week. In the end, he's still fourth amongst tight ends in the Big Ten in receiving, um, but he's not just a receiver. What's the word on Gentry? I'm told the expectations are he's likely to enter the draft. He's taking meetings with agents. Before the season began, there was word if he had a big year and climbed up draft boards and really started to meet expectations, he would enter the draft. 
And that's exactly what's happening. I mean, you, you watch Gentry. He looks like a power forward uh, basketball player on the football field. He's a big, strong blocker. He's a terrific pass catcher with reliable hands. You know, he's not the fastest guy in the world. And staying in college another year is not going to be the difference between him running a, you know, a 4-8 at the combine and running a 4-6. That's basically just because he's so big and he just doesn't have that great speed. But I think he's going to be a very good pro in the proper system at the next level. And from what I'm hearing now, expectations are that Gentry goes pro after this season. Now it's time to preview some games from Week 10. And obviously the big one on the schedule this week, and the game that really has the greatest impact on the national rankings, is the top-rated Alabama Crimson Tide traveling to Baton Rouge to take on the third-ranked LSU Tigers. Now most seasons we'd be focusing heavily on the defensive side of the ball for both teams, but this year's matchup gives us an opportunity to focus on some offense with Alabama's top-ranked unit facing off against LSU's seventh-ranked defense. Which matchups are you looking forward to on Saturday, Tony? I definitely want to see Greedy Williams, the cornerback from LSU, see how he holds up against that explosive Alabama air attack. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of talk that Greedy Williams is going to end up as a top 10 pick. When I did my top 10 mock draft a month ago, I'll have another one out real soon. I had him as a top 10 pick. He can prove his worth now. He's had a good season. He's shown terrific development in his game. But going up against Alabama is a different ball game altogether. I mean, you look at their quarterback, who's on his way to winning the Heisman, Tua Tagovailoa, completed 70.5% of his passes, 25 touchdowns, no interceptions, and he's thrown for 260 yards per game. And you got to remember, most of the Alabama games have been over at halftime. So Tagovailoa hasn't had to throw the ball in the second half because Alabama's so far ahead of their opponents at halftime, they basically can play ball control offense. And once again, in Alabama, with Alabama, we see that they just have great receivers, receivers with tremendous next-level potential. And it starts with true sophomore Jerry Judy, 31 receptions this season for 777 yards, averaging 25 yards per catch and has 10 touchdowns. And again, games are over at halftime, so you don't need Jerry Judy to make big plays in the second half. The guy's a vertical threat. The guy's a tremendous deep receiver. He can outrun anybody. And if it's not Judy, then it's Jalen Waddell, the freshman who's averaging more than 21 yards per reception. So with Greedy Williams, you want to see if you can stay downfield with these guys in a foot race. He should physically be able to beat them down, but can he get his head back around? How, how is his hip movement positioning himself to cover the deep passes? You know, this Tagalovea, I know I butcher his name, I apologize, does he even challenge Greedy Williams, because as we talked about earlier in the season, you know, the quarterbacks were looking at Greedy Williams and, and then turning their head, pulling the ball down and going the other direction. So I think this is a statement game for Greedy Williams. If he's able at any point in time to shut down Jerry Judy or Jalen Waddle, I, I think he's going to come out of this game with 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 improved stock and, and he's going to be a guy to watch. And it's not just Judy and Waddle. There's also Henry Ruggs III, too. Uh, he has seven touchdowns this year, also averaging over 20 yards a catch. I mean, they just have big play machines at receiver. I'm not even sure that Tua has stepped foot on the field in the fourth quarter this season. Now, you would think that might be a little bit different against LSU, but the way Alabama's been running teams out, it's certainly possible that we see Jalen Hurts for at least a quarter or possibly a little bit longer if they can continue to do that again. But... I think they're going to do a lot of lining up Judy away from Greedy Williams, but even Ruggs will be a challenge. Even Waddle will be a challenge. So it'll be interesting to see how Greedy does against these three different receivers, how he plays them differently, and really what he's able to do to adjust. 
Now, the next key matchup features another highly rated team, the fourth-ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They're facing off against Northwestern. Wildcats quarterback Clayton Thorson suffered a tough injury in his team's Music City Bowl win over Kentucky last year, but he's looked okay physically this year. There are a wide variety of, of opinions on Thorson, though. He features a strong arm and prototypical size at 6'4", 227, but he's often struggled with erratic accuracy. Tony, what's the word in the scouting community on Thorson, and what will you be looking for in this game from the big passer? Yeah, consistent 60% passer, but not great ball placement. Not a guy who, as they say, throws receivers free or basically puts the ball out in front of them. The big problem with Thorson is ball security. So far this year, 10 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Last year, 15 touchdowns and 12 interceptions. Against Notre Dame, he's going up against one of the top defenses in the nation. They're not Alabama. They don't have the defense in front of Clemson. But they basically have a lot of NFL talent on that defense all the way through from the defensive line with Jerry Tillery, two outstanding linebackers, a couple of good guys in the in the secondary, including Julian Love. You know, how does Clayton Thorson handle the pressure? You know, does he throw the ball into covered receivers? Does he force the ball? Uh, this is a big game for Thorson. I think right now he's a third day pick probably in that fourth fifth round he's got the physical skills that he should be able to move into the second day but if he does not protect the ball and he's keep he continually makes bad passes which end up in the opponent's hands he's going to be nothing more than the fifth round pick this is a chance for him to redeem himself all right that's it for our two game previews this week but we do have some extra time so we're going to take a couple questions that we got from listeners this week the first one comes from at Henry Elizondo nine on Twitter. And Henry wants to know, Tony, which Notre Dame player gets drafted first in next year's draft? I think without a question, it's Jerry Tillery. I mean, he really has improved his game in any, every, and every, any aspect entered the season as a third round pick. He's moved into the second round. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in round one. He's a big athletic guy. He's explosive. He's quick off the snap. He shows power. You know, not just a guy who is a one-dimensional gap occupier or run defender, a very good pass rusher, really has shown himself to be a three-down player this year. So to answer Henry's question, the first Notre Dame player off the board in the 2019 draft is going to be Jerry Tillery, and I think he's going to end up anywhere between picks 25 to 42 at this point in time. Hard to disagree with that assessment, the way Tillery's played this season. I definitely agree that he's going to be a top 40 pick, and it'll be interesting to see if he does pop into the uh, the back end of round one there. We do have one more question, Tony. Our buddy Thorne Eistrom, who covers the draft over at Roto World, wants to know, of all the teams who added picks at Tuesday's trade deadline, can you talk about what they might be looking to do in April with the equity they have now? He'd also be interested to hear some realistic targets for the Raiders, who now have uh, five early picks in the draft. Yeah, this is usually a tough one because we're at the end of October. Uh, you know, you, you don't know what teams are going to do as far as or, or needs. But since, since it's Thor and, and Thor's our buddy, I'll do my best to answer it. Let's go. What I'm going to do is, I mean, because there are a bunch of picks, there are a bunch of trades yesterday. I'm just going to deal with teams that are getting fourth rounders or earlier. So the Detroit Lions got a third rounder for Golden Tate. You know, I, I can see them trying to replace Golden Tate with a receiver. Jacoby Myers of North Carolina State, if he enters the draft, I, if they don't go that way, you know, they've been looking for another defensive end for a while uh, to put on the other side of Ziggy Ansah. 
I could see maybe Carl Granderson of Wyoming, if he's available in the third round, very well liked in the scouting community. Maybe Trayvon Hill of Virginia Tech. Trayvon Hill, a tremendous pass rusher who was dismissed from the uh, Virginia Tech program, I believe, four games into the season. He's got some character issues, but there's a point in time where, you know, you're going to have to push those character issues aside because uh, the value is too great and Trayvon Hill can get up the field and get to the quarterback. Jacksonville Jaguars received the third round pick for the disappointing uh, Dante uh, Fowler. Uh, I bet at this point in time, they wish they had selected Leonard Williams and had Leonard Williams on their roster rather than wasting that early selection on Dante Fowler. Early rounds, you know, they are lacking at the receiver position. They're going to have an early selection in the rounds. If Anthony Johnson of Buffalo falls into that early third round area, I can see the Jaguars jumping all over him. I know that a lot of people think that Anthony Johnson of Buffalo is going to be a first-round pick. Uh, More than a year ago, I was on Anthony Johnson. He's a tremendous receiver, shows himself as a great vertical receiver. I just don't know how fast he is, and I don't know that he's fast enough to be a top-50 pick. We'll have to see. The other guy would be Preston Williams of Colorado State if he enters the draft, a guy who's got tremendous physical skills, Despite the fact that Colorado State has had a terrible season, Preston Williams comes to play every week and has been tearing it up. I'm told the guy is an impact athlete, but has just got a lot of character issues, which which is going to push him down draft boards. And at some point in time, obviously, Jacksonville is going to have to address the quarterback situation. So if there's a good quarterback there early in round three, you know, a guy like Ryan Finley happens to fall uh, to them. uh, I'm sure they would scoop up a uh, a quarterback. Uh, the Packers got a fourth-round pick from the Washington Redskins for former uh, safety Haha Dixon. I, I could see the Packers going with a pass rusher, Trayvon Hill, who I mentioned earlier, if uh, if he falls that far. Otherwise, I, I would look offensive guard. Two guys I'm thinking of, Hajolte Froholt of Arkansas, or a guy who has been my favorite for two years, Chris Lindstrom of Boston College, who I think is very much a uh, a Packers type of lineman. As far as the Raiders are concerned, you know, I got to say about the Raiders, I I don't know what John Gruden is doing. I don't think it was as necessary to blow up the team the way he has blown up that team. A lot's going to depend on whether or not Derek Carr is their quarterback, you know, moving forward. What what does Gruden think? If if he keeps Derek Carr, the draft is going to go one way. If he doesn't keep Derek Carr and doesn't sign somebody in free agency, Obviously, they're going to be looking for a quarterback early. So I'm going to assume now, you know, just for this argument's sake, on a, uh, uh, in early October, uh, late October, early November, that they keep Derek Carr. So with that very early first round pick, or which is going to be theirs at the top of the draft, they're probably going to go pass rusher, maybe Nick Bozer or Cleveland Ferrell. Uh, with that second pick in round one, I'm going to say a receiver like an A.J. Brown because they got to get some pass catchers in there. A.J. Brown is a Keyshawn Johnson type. is a little bit shorter than Keyshawn Johnson, but we know that the uh, the success that Gruden had with Keyshawn Johnson, he was his top receiver when Gruden won the Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, and then that third round pick, if he hasn't addressed the pass rusher or, or, or a defensive front seven player early on, maybe even if he does, he takes a guy like Josh Allen late in round one with the pick they got from the Chicago Bears. And then at the top of round two, I think they come back and take one of the running backs. Or if they haven't taken a receiver, they take a receiver at the top of round two. They've got a lot of options, but the question is, I mean, it's a big question mark, obviously, at this point in time, what any team is going to do. 
uh, in the NFL draft. I think it's an even bigger question mark with the Raiders because you don't know what Gruden's going to do, and you don't know if he's going to keep the quarterback at this point in time. Henry and Thor, thank you for the questions, and uh, hope you got the answers you were looking for. For now, that's it for episode number two of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform and leave us a rating and a review. And also feel free to send us questions via Twitter or in your review. And as always, head over to draftanalyst.com for all the latest around the college football landscape. For Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.